You're listening to the Wordslinger Podcast, episode 122, Juggling the Author Life with Jim Heskett. This episode of the Wordslinger Podcast is brought to you by draft to digital Convert your manuscript, distribute it online, and get support the whole way at DraftToDigital.com. It's the Wordslinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand, write your book, redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the Wordslinger. Wordslinger. Hey everybody, this is Kevin Tomlinson, the Wordslinger. Uh, not necessarily the one and only Wordslinger I've discovered over the years. <laughs> It's funny how you think something is uh, so creative and original, uh, and then you uh, you do just like the most basic Google search and find out that other people uh, also came up with it. I'm still working on getting wordslinger.com. I think um, I haven't checked on that in a while, but uh, the lady who owns it <laughs> when I uh, when I checked in on it said she was holding it for her daughter. Um, I don't know how old her daughter is. Or was, uh, but she was going to hold on to it until she could give it to her one day, and then she could decide whether she wanted it or not. Uh, maybe use some use it for something. I I I am okay with that. I respect that. But come on, <laughs> come on. I have a brand of an established brand here, lady. Uh, anyway, no, she's uh, she seemed perfectly nice. She just didn't seem interested in selling me that domain. Uh, I probably wouldn't pay for it at this point anyway. Who knows? Um, so, thank you for tuning in again. Uh, this has been an, an interesting week. You know, we got uh, an announcement coming up with uh, Draft to Digital that I'm not going to spoil here. Uh, but if you are not a Draft to Digital author yet, uh, you may want to pop in there uh, and uh, take a look. Be on the uh, be on the lookout. There will be a press release and, a, and an email and a blog post and all kinds of things announcing something very cool in the uh, draft to digital landscape. So uh, be sure to check that out. And um, in other news, in in and uh, I'm sorry to all my friends and uh, coworkers at Draft to Digital, but uh, this is more exciting news to me. <laughs> the uh, my latest Dan Kotler thriller, The Devil's Interval. Um, hit the uh hit amazon today um you uh you are going to like this book now here's the deal i and i've been very conscious about this i'm writing each dan Kotler thriller so that it can in fact stand all on its own you don't have to have read any of the other books so you don't have to go back and read you know uh quailo medallion or atlantis riddle <clears throat> before you can read this book uh it helps and uh, there will be some spoilers uh, for those books, I guess, uh, in, in some ways, uh, I try not to spoil like the entire plot of the book. Um, but I, I, you know, I want people to be able to dive in and read these from any point. This is a challenge, by the way. This is a very, this is a challenging thing. Uh, in the past, when I've written series, uh, those books were dependent upon each other. You know, they were serialized basically. Um, and you know, it's funny because some people complained about that. You know, the same people who, uh, who, you know, had no problem with star Wars or the Lord of the Rings, um, had a huge problem with cliffhangers at the end of, you know, a 60 or 70,000 word book, um, uh, as an open to the uh, next 60 or 70,000 word book. So whatever, you know what, you can't please everybody. Uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, people are going to get irate. You may make mistakes. There's all kinds of things that can go wrong here. Uh, but the uh, the point, uh, authors, if you're doing this, is uh, write the books that excite you and write the books that are going to please the audience that you're really trying to reach. And don't worry about all the complainers. Because <laughs> there's always going to be complainers. Anyway, here into the lesson. But um, if you are uh, if you are a reader of thrillers, I hope you'll pick up Devil's Interval. Uh, I'm I'm very excited about it. The uh, the I got the proof in uh, this week and uh, had to make a slight change. So the the physical co- you know this is all timing. This is all bad timing on my part, really. But the uh, the physical book, the print edition of the book, <clears throat> will go live uh, as soon as this very minor change gets approved from uh, Create Space. I'm also um, by the way, I'm thinking of. Uh, of basically removing books from CreateSpace and going with someone else. 
So maybe uh, Ingram Spark or Lulu or something. So uh, I've been kind of asking around and getting some advice on this. But if you've if you've got experience in those, let me know. Pop in on uh, wordslingerpodcast.com and uh, send me an email with uh, any insight you have uh, for doing print editions. I'm thinking about doing some hardcover editions as well. <clears throat> uh, Nick Thacker does these with each of his books. He basically just does it so he has a hardbound uh, version of the book. I haven't bothered with that, uh, but I think I might with the thrillers and may even make them available for sale. Uh, they're going to be hella expensive. <laughs> I'm just going to warn you now. So, uh, But the thing is, you know, I, I really subscribe to Seth Godin's uh, philosophy that we are, as authors, we're now in the souvenir business. Um, you know, ebooks make it possible for people to read our, our books without ever having to hold a copy of it in their hands. Uh, the the physical copies more and more are becoming souvenirs. Uh, they're becoming something that the reader uh, purchases because they identify with the book, because they identify with the author. They want something to hold on to. They want something tangible. <clears throat> they want the smell of it. They want the, the feel of the pages. They want the you know the satisfaction of seeing their their progress as they move through the through the book. I mean. You know, you can do that digitally with little meters and things, but there's just something about looking, looking down at uh, your hands. And this is the book, by the way. You hear that? That's you just got the entire. You want an audio book? Here's an audio book. There you go. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, by the way, audiobooks, find away voices through Draft to Digital. Uh, the big announcement was you can now go through draft to digital and you don't have to pay the $49 admin fee. So there's an incentive to uh, go through D 2 D. You don't have to distribute through us at all. Um, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. It saves you $49. So if you're looking to produce an actual audiobook, there you go in the plug ends there. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, at any rate, uh, very excited. I hope you will pick up your own copy the whole souvenir thing, if you want a print edition, they're going to be available. Uh, I am thinking about eventually doing hardbounds, uh, hardbacks. Uh, I haven't really, I don't know, I haven't gotten there yet, but we'll see. There there was a complication the last time I tried it, but I, I think it works well for the thrillers. I mean, I, I, as I kind of tinker with this, uh, you know, as I've moved into thrillers as my genre, uh, there are just certain things that just work really well. Um and uh, as of finishing Devil's Interval, I leapt right into the next book, which I, I know is going to be amazing. Uh, I'm probably, I'm only about three chapters in at this point, <clears throat> which is decent, uh, decent progress for the, you know, past few days. Uh, but uh, very excited about this one. It's going to be, I'll announce the title later, because the title may actually change. I'm, 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 I'm not settled on it. I'm, generally, I have a title before I even start the book. And that remains my title <laughs> from day one. In fact, a lot of times, instead of writing down a, a book idea, I write down a title, which to me encapsulates the entire idea. Because, you know, I'm a pantser. I don't know what the book's going to be about until I until I read it myself. <laughs> so, um, at any rate, man, I'm holding I'm holding this copy. I <clears throat> I did a couple of things by accident, and with this one, I um, first of all, I made the uh, Trim size smaller by accident. I made it a straight five by eight, um, which I uh, typically do like a five point five by eight point five. Uh, and I and I don't know how I accidentally did this, but I did. <clears throat> Excuse me for clearing my throat in your ear. Um, but you know, holding it in my hand, and you know, my wife said the same thing. This feels much more like a, a you know a traditional paperback book. I mean it. And I went with a glossy cover instead of matte. Uh, I think, per, to me, that works a little better for... Um, my covers have a lot of black. <laughs> the matte uh, finish tends to crush those blacks and uh, you lose details. Um, so to me, it just, you know, this is probably my favorite paperback cover to date. Like, it just... I love the feel and look of it. So, But I, ac I also accidentally chose um, white for the... Uh, interior instead of cream uh i don't know i, I don't know what i was doing <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what was going on the day I, I i probably rushed things uh trying to get everything done in time so my mistake but this is just a proof copy and it looks great 
I think it's going to look fantastic when I get the cream uh, paper in there. And I think I may actually go back and retool a lot of my books to be a straight up 5x8 trim size. So you can let me know your thoughts on that too if you like. Uh, at any rate, <clears throat> so speaking of rushing things, speaking of uh, you know going back and redoing covers and <laughs> all the other all the other stuff that uh, I have to juggle as an author. Um, today's guest is a uh, he's a fellow podcaster. He's an author. Uh, it's Jim Heskett. He, he now he's his the book we're pushing here is um, the juggling author. Write four books a year while balancing family, friends, and a full time job. Uh, you know this is this is a topic I think is is appropriate for uh, pretty much my whole audience. I know there are some of you who are full-time authors and uh, man the, let me tell you that is an amazing feat I, I I just want to take a moment to celebrate you in that because uh, it is amazing <laughs> it is incredible when you finally hit that level whatever it is uh, that allows you to to transition from working for someone else to writing books for a living and publishing for a living and owning and controlling your own destiny and your own career uh man you deserve applause <laughs> if i had an applause button uh right now i need to rewire i used to have a whole like sound effects uh, board that i could do cheesy sound effects with and i didn't really use it much but if i could applaud you right now i totally would uh i do i do applaud you and uh you know go out and enjoy your success one of the pieces of advice that um that I heard from Neil Gaiman <clears throat> um, because we went Neil Gaiman was in Houston well I think it was like three weeks ago now uh, we went and did it an evening with Neil Gaiman and uh, it was a, a fun it was fun you know we went to the uh, Society for Performing Arts here in Houston um, we were able to uh, get some wine we were able to have a nice meal right there right there in the uh, not, not, not in the auditorium but they have a little facility around it you know and uh and then we went and sat and listened to neil talk and do a, a you know a, f- a few selected reads and answer some questions and it was a it was a great evening and one of the pieces of advice that he gave he says he got from stephen king and <clears throat> i may tear this up i've actually read this before too so uh i'm gonna paraphrase quite a bit but he said that at one point you know, as he was becoming more successful, as he was gaining more notoriety for his work, you know, he he is at an event with Stephen King, and and King tells him, you know, uh, you need to enjoy this, you need to to stand back every now and then, and and just appreciate what you've accomplished here. And uh, one of Stephen King's regrets, apparently, was that during the the sort of height of his career, when he was just you know, exploding on the scene, and when uh, you know he was becoming a household name, um, he tended to just overwork himself instead of stopping to enjoy what he was doing. He was so focused on you know maintaining that, maintaining the rhythm and the momentum, and you know producing the next book uh, that he didn't stop to enjoy himself. He didn't stop to enjoy time with his kids. He didn't stop to enjoy time with his wife. You know. Uh, and then in his later years, he, he learned how to appreciate that more and he slowed down. But how much better would his life have been, you know, in his eyes? I mean, he, he has a great life, but I mean, how much better could his life be if he had just taken a moment to stop and celebrate these little victories and these big victories that came his way? So that's my advice to you if you are a full-time author. I love, so, you know, I work for draft to digital um, It is has been a blessing uh, in in more ways than I can count. Um, I was doing pretty well. Uh, I, I I do pretty well. I can I could totally work on my own. I don't have to work for anybody. So I you know and I do still enjoy the same sorts of freedom and flexibility that I that I've always enjoyed uh, in my career. So you know working with Draft to Digital was a uh, was a good choice for me because it, it connected me to a different part of the community. And uh, I continue to grow in that. I, and I love the company. And I love the people. So it's it's an amazing experience for me. A growth uh, season for me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I also love being an author full time. <laughs> I love that I get up in the morning and 
work on my books, you know. But there, are, there can be this um, overwhelm that hits you, especially if you are working full-time. If you're working full-time for someone having to report to a desk or a cubicle or, uh, you know, maybe you, maybe you work uh, in, a, in a trade that requires your, your hands and your mind um, fully focused on that all day. So, you know, how do you juggle those responsibilities and the responsibilities of family and the responsibilities of the, the business that you're growing, the author business that you're growing? And in this conversation with Jim, uh, we, we cover that in his book. He goes into great detail about it. So please pick that up. You can find a link in the show notes. Um, but let's let's go ahead and jump in. I'm, I'm way overdue. We're, we're nearly at 16 minutes. I'm sorry. Uh, let's go ahead and jump right into this interview with Jim and uh, see me on the other side. We'll do a little housekeeping so hope you enjoy this interview with Jim Haskin hey everybody thanks for tuning in uh you know it's every now and then I get to talk to a fellow podcaster um and that's always a a great experience because they they know how this game is played and that's that's who I'm talking to today I'm talking to Jim Heskett uh among other books he's the author of the of the juggling author uh, write four books a year while balancing family, friends, and a full-time job. And I know that's going to be a topic of interest for a lot of folks who listen to this show. It's a topic of interest for me, frankly. Um, although four books a year, I, I'm, I'm just going to humble brag. I do that. That's fine. Uh, so how's it going, Jim? Welcome to the show, hey, man. What's up, Kevin? Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. <laughs> Thanks, man. So, um, all right. Well, you, you're, you and I have somewhat parallel careers, I think. We, we do practically the same stuff you write thrillers as well you write noir thrillers though mostly yeah noir thrillers and a little bit of mystery but i've i've dabbled in some other genres i've done some dystopian stuff yeah. and uh, a couple of short story collections that are mostly dark comedy so i, I can't i have trouble staying in one place yeah i hear you man <laughs> just take a look at my catalog i'm all over the place yeah uh, so what uh what brought on the juggling author then i mean I'm, uh, other than you probably do this stuff in your career but i mean what what prompts you to write the book? Well, it started with I just wanted to jump into the nonfiction game. I really wanted to to branch out and try some nonfiction, but I was trying to find my niche uh, because you know I didn't. There's there's not a point in writing an end to end book for indie authors anymore. I think right. the um, you know write publish repeat by Johnny Sean and Dave pretty much cornered that market. Right. And so I was looking at at. Um, Things that people were doing, like Chris Fox, who you know does the six-figure author and right to market, and people like Rachel Aaron, who do who wrote two K to ten K and wrote these very specialized books um, in the publishing uh, in the publishing world that teach you how to do a very specific thing. So I I tried to focus on what was the specific talent that I thought that I had or, or area of expertise I had that I didn't think had really been covered before at least for indie authors, and that was that I know how to produce a lot of content uh, on schedule and plan ahead while still having, you know, I've got a 40-hour-a-week day job, I'm married, and uh, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old son. So I'm, I'm in 2016, I wrote and published 300,000 words all while doing all those other things, and I think that, yeah. I figure that made me kind of, Maybe not an expert, but at least knowledgeable in the field of how to get a lot of stuff done when you've got a lot going on. Right. No, I mean, you know, no one, no one is more of an expert than the guy doing it. You know. <laughs> so right. there you are. So cool. I you um, that's a lot, man. That's a lot. You know, I don't have kids, so I I have I have uh, a kind of a, a little bit more freedom, I think, than some authors, uh, especially if they're working full time jobs. I don't work a full time job per se, so. Uh, it helps me to have a lot of free time, but I, I remember the days when I was, when I was that juggling author, you know, where I'm mm-hmm. trying to balance everything. I mean, what, what are some of the, uh, I guess the tips or, you know, where, where does this start for the juggling author? Well, I think what, what I've done is I've developed a, a plan, um, okay. or I've developed a system and i I hate to describe it as that because it sounds like I'm about to sell you on a $97 info product, but <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I've, I've basically made a system that allows me to uh, write and publish a book in less than three months, and 
all while doing all those other things. So it's basically I'm able to get that done with about an hour and a half to two hours a day of free time. Um, and I do that while um, planning very extensively. Like part of it, part of the whole juggling author method is to be an organizational freak. Yeah. You know, I rely very heavily on to-do lists. I rely very heavily on planning things out months and months in advance. So I'm always adding to the end of the queue rather than struggling to get the next thing out. You know, right. I've, I have a pretty firm publication special uh, schedule for the next six months and kind of a loose one for the next year. So I, whenever I'm – the project I'm working out on now, it's, it's now May 1st and it won't be coming out until November – and I have a pretty good idea of what I'm doing for most of 2018. That's um, impressive. I mean, I, you know, okay, I got to tell you that this is something that's top of mind for me right now because it seems like I have so many things I have to balance. Um, and it's it kind of overwhelms me at times. And uh, the list just keeps growing. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm keen on learning how to do this. Uh, you know, I, I, and I do, I manage pretty well, but I, I want to be able to do this without feeling overwhelmed by it. How do, how do you kind of get past that feeling? And I'm sorry for the leaf blower that just kicked in again. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Well, sometimes feeling overwhelmed is just part of the process. You know, I don't enjoy deadlines, but they sure do work. Yeah. Um, and so here's, here's something that I do. I use an app called Trello. That's T-R-E-L-L-O. Mm -hmm. And it's a Kanban-based board system. So it's like a to-do list, but a, a three-dimensional to-do list where you you create a board of, say, these are things to do, and then you drag an item from one board to another board as you make progress on it. Right. And so I have um, three separate boards that I mainly use. One is my general to-do list, and in that board I created lists for things I have to do right now, things I have to do next, things I have to do later, and things I have to do someday. And the, the second uh, main board that I use will be things for my mailing list. And the third board will be things for my, my publication schedule. So, And my, my main board, my big to-do board is going to be things like um, write the blog post about this, mm -hmm. put this book on CreateSpace, contact this cover designer about this, contact this editor about this. So it's just all the general things that I have to do and I – as it get, they get closer to deadline, I drag them from the do later board to the do next board to the do now board. Right. So at a glance, I can look and see what are the things I have to do right now to get off my plate. And then the publication board is more, I look at here the things I, I'm definitely going to publish in the next six months, the things that I want to add to the end of the queue. And so I'm managing all my publications that way. And then the mailing list board might be the most important one because I keep track of the you know I, I plan my emails out to my um my mailing list three to six months in advance yeah um and I, so I keep track of which of the emails that I have written which of the emails that I haven't written which of the emails that I've written but I might need to go in and edit who it's being sent to because maybe I need to remove arc readers from a release email and send them a separate one mm -hmm. and that's the one I probably pay the most attention to because I don't know if you've ever sent out an email to thousands of people that had some bad information in it, like a link that doesn't work, but right. <laughs> that's, it's an awful experience. And so I do everything I can to avoid that. Right. And I, my mailing list is the core of most of those things because I plan a lot of my release schedules on that. Cause I, my main mailing list, my main segment, um, I don't want to email them more than twice a month. So I make sure, you know, if I'm doing a release in a month, then I've got one other email and I may postpone the next release till a few weeks later. So I found a good rhythm for how often I should email them to keep them engaged, but not not bump up my unsubscribe rate because they're sick of hearing from me. Right, right. I need to work out these schedules myself. <laughs> I tell you, if, if I didn't, if I didn't have that, if I was just scrambling to get everything done, like here's an example. Last year, I um, collaborated on a novella with Jay Thorne, uh, a horror novella in his American Demon Hunter series. And he, it was the book was on his dashboard. He was managing everything, and so I was going to let my mailing list know about it. But he um, hadn't published it yet, and so he's, you know, I was like, okay, I want to tell my list about it on this day. And he said, okay, I'll get you the link to the book, you know, the or 
Um, or maybe it was the ARC version. I don't even remember. But he was going to get me a link for something the day before I was going to send my email out. And that was so foreign to me because I was so used to you know planning everything out for months in advance that I was crazy with anxiety. Like, what if I don't get that email in time? Or right. what if because it's last minute I, I mess it up? So I'm so used to planning out everything in advance that I'm always adding to the end of the queue. And that, that really helps me build up a buffer so if something does happen and I can't produce for a week or two yeah. that it won't kill me yeah yeah so in terms of the uh the sort of write four books a year aspect of this i mean what what are you doing to make sure you're i mean clearly unlike me you actually have a, a calendar of when you're going to release i probably should commit to that but i i like my uh free floating lifestyle um but mm-hmm. <laughs> what what are you doing to make sure you're on track to get these four books a year done uh, I set deadlines. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have, I have, you know, like when I'm working on a project, I, I have the system that I've designed has me write exactly three drafts. Wow. And so I, I go into detail on this in the book about this is what I do in draft one. Like the juggling author book, it's not like how to write a book in 21 days. You know, it doesn't say on day one you outline, on day two is first draft. It's, it's more loose than that, but. I write exactly three drafts, and I know in draft one I'm going to do this. After draft one, here's what I'm going to do. After draft one is when I'm going to think of a title, reach out to the cover designer. So a lot of it has to do with the cover designer and the editor with getting things on their schedule. Right. Because um, I know like one editor I work with, she's sometimes booked out for a couple months in advance. So I know like I need to have something to her by this date, and that will be third draft. You know, So I know I need for this project – I need to have the third draft done. And because I've done this enough times, I know it's going to take me three weeks for first draft, four weeks for second draft, two weeks for third draft, and it's going to take me this long in between. So I know I could say, this project needs to begin on this date for me to achieve third draft so I can get it out to the editor by that day. Right. These drafts are, uh, are these edit passes or are they, well, what is this exactly? So basically the way I do it is this. Um, one of the the main things that I do, and I think that this helps me to write content fast, is that in my first draft, now one of the most common pearls of wisdom you hear from writing advice books is that you write your first draft and you go back and you cut out 10%. Okay. And I do basically exactly the opposite. I write really short in first draft because if, if a book is going to end up being 60 or 65,000 words – in first draft, that's going to be about 35 hmm. um, because I I outline in beats. So I have kind of a loose outline. I basically know you know some pieces of who the characters are and I know what the plot's going to be. And then as I'm going through first draft, things like uh, descriptions of characters and descriptions of places, I mostly leave that stuff out hmm. so I can get it on the page as quickly as possible. And that helps me keep the excitement level high. And it just helps me get into something I can mold into clay later. Yeah. So my, my first draft is basically getting everything on the page as quickly as possible. And then my second draft is about getting it to the right word count that I want. Um, and I'll, I know what the word count is going to be, usually based on the number of scenes I outline. So because I write thrillers, I know that my scenes are usually going to be somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 words apiece. Mm-hmm. So I can look at, say, I've got 40 scenes, and so this book is going to be about 65,000 words. And so I'll go back and look at my first draft, which is 35,000 words. Then I do some maths, and I figure out how long each scene needs to be to get it to the right level of pacing. And then that second draft is going through and fluffing things up, you know, fixing huge logic problems if I've skipped, you know, created any big plot holes from draft one. Right. Fixing that stuff and then buffering up the word count so that I – do things like include descriptions of people, places, and things, and um, differenti- differentiate the character dialogue. Because in first draft, my characters basically all talk the same. Right. Like they all basically sound like me. And then I go back and but after once I get to the end of first draft, I know what the characters' voices are basically. So I can go back and include that in the second draft. So the second draft usually takes me longer than the first draft. Okay. And then third draft is really when I do my my pre-editing pass. When I go back and I spiffy up the verbs, you know, like I exchange all those weak verbs for good ones. Um, yeah. 
by third draft, I've usually gotten beta reader feedback. I usually give, I don't give out first drafts um, for beta readers, uh, but second drafts I do. And then so by the time I start working on third draft, I get that beta reader feedback. And if a few of them are mentioning certain things, I'll take a good hard look at it. So I'm incorporating that stuff. So by the time I get to the end of third draft, it's pretty much good enough to go to uh, to a line editor and a proofreader. I don't I don't use developmental editors, but yeah. I figured out three drafts is about is about right for me because I can get you know between draft one and draft two, it's like a ninety percent improvement. And then between draft two and draft three, it's like a twenty five percent improvement. Yeah. And so draft four might net me a eight percent improvement, but is that worth the time it would take me to do it? Right. Um, because you know, because I'm juggling and because I've got all these other responsibilities, I don't have I don't have the time to edit a draft into infinity like I did when I was you know five or six years ago when I was chasing traditional publishing and I just wanted to get signed by an agent and I would write twelve drafts of a thing and take two years to do it. Right. I don't have time for that anymore, man. I'm an indie author and I need to build up my catalog. No kidding. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, how many books do you have out right now? Um, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> um, I've got six books in my main series. I've got the fourth book in a different series is about to come out. The third book in a different series is about to come out. And then I've got a couple of standalone things. So I could probably tell you closer in word count than I could in the number of books, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Authors are obsessed with their word count. <laughs> so do you have like a, a like a daily word target that you aim for? Um, I, I don't usually. It just depends on what deadline I've set. You know, if um, because the project that I'm working on right now, I'm in the second draft of a project and I have a deadline of May 11th to finish okay. that second draft. And so I know I need to hit about 900 words a day to, to, um, right, to complete right. that second draft. I'm going to do more than that though. I'm, I mean, I almost always f- finish that early, but so my, my draft, my, um, uh, yeah, word count is is determined by by deadlines and what other projects I've got going on. So it's interesting because okay, so I have my thirty day author formula right. The mm-hmm. emphasis for most folks is on the word count, but in in your case, it would it would be on the deadline, which is yeah equally valid. But it, it's and both are components of the of the formula. So you're you're just doing what I tell people to do. It's you know determine how long the book's going to be, determine when you need it, and then you know how many words you got to write each day. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, one of the things that I do to to hit that word count. I mean, I'm not a um, what a, there's two k to ten k, and then Chris yeah. Fox also wrote what five thousand words per hour. Right. Um, I I do use some analytics to help me get there. I have an app on my phone that I uh, that that tracks my writing, and so I hit a start timer, and then I write, and then I hit a stop timer, and then I enter in my word count for that sprint. And it tells me how many words I'm doing per hour, and it tells me how many words I'm doing per day. Right. And so uh, I can track my times and see, okay, I'm on weekends, I'm more productive in the mornings or evenings or on weekdays, you know, because I may get like because of my my day job and responsibilities, I might have 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes at lunch, and 30 minutes at night after the kid goes to bed. Right. So. I, I pay really close attention to where are my productive times and try to focus on putting my creative energy into that. Whereas like if I notice there's a time where I'm not very productive, you know, like maybe morning um, because I, I need my coffee and my bagel before I can get going, right. I might res- start reserving that time for things like answering fan emails or or submitting promotions to websites and doing admin work in my KDP dashboard, stuff like that. Yeah, I uh, one thing that I want to sort of home in on because I think it's cool and I think it's something that I preach to people, but I mean, you're doing this in like one to two hours a day and you're being very productive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the, you know, there, I mean, I met a few hundred authors this past weekend or this past week who, uh, you know, the biggest trouble they have is finding the time to write. And it's, it can be even tough to find that hour, but I mean, it, what it comes down to is if you can if you can slice off that time every single day, you can do a book. It's not it's not rocket surgery, as we say. <laughs> yeah, takes... and 
good. Yeah, sorry. Um, I mean, a lot of it is, well, there's a few things. One is, is making sacrifices. You know, um, I really don't, I removed all of the tappy tappy video games from my phone. Yeah. So when I'm sitting at the doctor's office and I'm waiting to go in and get a checkup and I can spend that 10 minutes, um, playing some tappy game on my phone, or I could take out, you know, the mobile Scrivener and dash off 300 words and because that that ten minutes is is productive time, right? Um, so there's there's sacrifices to be made. You know, I don't really I'm not up on the latest Netflix shows, and I don't play video games anymore. Really, right? Um, a lot of it is is fun, making time out of nothing. You know, like bargaining with my spouse, where she'll say she's going to go out with her friends on Saturday night, and I say, you know, well that's that's fine. I'm totally willing to be single dad for the evening if you'll give me two uninterrupted hours tomorrow on Sunday where I can focus on doing my work while you babysit the kid. So there's a lot of that stuff that goes on. And I think one of the, then the most important thing with finding time is I think a lot of us, uh, especially the more sensitive of us are really victims of the muse victims of that idea that you can't write unless you're inspired or victims of the idea that if you write something that you might look it over again and go, Oh, this is crap. I'm just going to throw this away. And to me, that's, you know, and I've, I used to be really a victim of the muse and I used to throw words away on a regular basis until I figured out that the problem wasn't so much the words I was writing. The problem was that I was going back and reading them over again. Right. Um, you know, it was like some kind of fear, this insecurity that somebody else would read this and tell me that I'm not worthy. And, but I've since discovered that like, it's okay if I write crappy words because I can always go back and fix them later. Right. I shouldn't get so hung up on crappy words. I should push forward and then go back and fix it. You know, like what is the, the saying go plumbers don't get plumbers block. True. <laughs> Although plumbers block sounds like it might be kind of disgusting either way. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Are you, uh, so you use Trello. What other tools are in your toolbox? Uh, that writing app that I use, I'm just about to find the name of it. It's called wordly is the, the app that I use to track my word count. And I mainly only use that in first draft. And part of that is because like when I hit the start timer button and then I start writing, I know I'm on the clock and that makes me, that makes me anxious (laughs) and it makes, it makes my fingers move faster. Um, I also, I'm a, I'm a Scrivener convert. Um, I use Scrivener exclusively for writing and I recently discovered Vellum on the, uh, I'm a, I'm a Mac convert of a couple years ago and I discovered Vellum, which is a Mac only software for formatting books. Right. Um, and I think Vellum makes beautiful eBooks and they're, they're just about to come out with their print version, which I'm pretty excited about because formatting print books is a pain in the butt and I hate it. Um, I don't enjoy that at all. Yeah, um, I'm, yes. I'm the same way, man. I, I, you know, I tried to. Get, did you, did you manage to get in on the uh, beta? I didn't. I wanted to, but I did not. Same here, man. I, I, I offered them money. I'm like, just <laughs> I will sign. I will give you the money, whatever you're going to charge for the software. I'll pay for the software now, and they, they wouldn't bite. So, you know, yeah, I definitely want that because <laughs> I'm tired of doing. It. You know, I've and I've done this stuff professionally, so it's not like. It's not really that hard. It's just time consuming, and uh, I'm so impressed with the way Vellum does eBooks that uh, you know I'm kind of sold on them as a brand. I'm very brand loyal. <laughs> yeah, Vellum's great, and uh, you know paperbacks are they're a pain. I, I still think I still like having them. Yeah. Um, you know, even though compared to eBooks, I sell way more eBooks than I do print books. Um, you know, but. It's nice to have it. I think I like being able to have it in my hand. I also right. like being able to use it for giveaways, right. you know, for auto- autographed copies and being able to put it on my shelf. And um, also it's really nice because then on Amazon it shows you, yeah. you know, the price of your the, – the price comparison because right. it will say the print price and then the ebook price. And then even if it's like the, the print book is $6 more, it makes the ebook look cheap by comparison. Right. And that's exactly. really nice. Yeah, psychological call, effect of that is nice. I call that the whiskey principle. <laughs> because when you if you go in and you buy, you're going to buy a bottle of whiskey. You know, I'll, I often call it the scotch principle, but it's the whiskey principle. You go and you're <laughs> going to buy a bottle of whiskey and you you see like the the $10 bottle and then there's like a $70 bottle and then there's like an $800 bottle. Like you're more inclined to buy the $70 bottle now. 
because it's mm-hmm. like, it's in the middle. So I right. like having that range of prices for everybody to compare my bucks to. <laughs> right. Encourages them to buy. Right. Um, yeah. So okay. So you most of your sales are ebooks, and that's I think pretty typical from the uh, indie author standpoint. Um, do you do audio? I do, um, and uh, I, I've, I'm learning audio. Yeah. Uh, I only have some of my books in there, and I made some mistakes early on. Like when I uh, a couple years ago, I put out a short story collection that was three stories. You know, it was maybe ten thousand words, and I had it made into audiobook, and I didn't understand why it didn't sell in audio at all. Yeah. Um, and I've I've since learned, you know, that longer books are better. And how to, you know, that, that once you put something in audio, it's committed and it's hard to get it taken down. Right. Because that, that 10,000 word uh, short story collection, I later added 20,000 words of stories to it. And I, you know, I wanted to then redo the audio version. So I thought it'd be a couple hours longer and it might sell better. And it took me months of negotiation with Audible and ACX to get them to actually take it down so we could redo it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, odd, longer is definitely better. Like I had a trilogy of novellas called the whistleblower trilogy and each novella was about 45,000 words and that comes out to about four hours of audio Yeah. and I just released them in a box set. And so the, the 13 hour audiobook version of that box set sells way better than all three of the four hour ones combined. Right. So and it makes sense if you're an audible and you get one credit a month, you're going to want to maximize your right, exactly. fifteen bucks or whatever, and you know get the longest audiobook you can. Yeah, I don't know if they if they fully intended that effect when they kind of designed the system, but that's that's exactly how it works out. Like when I go mm-hmm. on, you know, I'm like I got my two credits. I want two books that are going to last me as long as possible, and it's it's kind of funny because that's not the way most people approach a book. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> outside of Audible. So anyway, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm much more likely to listen to a 20-hour audiobook than I am to buy a 700-page Kindle book. Yeah. Because that that audiobook, that's commute time, whereas if I buy a Kindle book, that's, you know, 700 pages is going to take me a couple months to read. Right. Yeah, yeah. I find that I actually enjoy using Audible more for um, – uh, not so much for novels and that sort of thing, but for you know nonfiction books that I probably mm. wouldn't have picked up and read normally, um, even though I was interested in the topic. Like, you know, it's it, for me, it's much easier to consume that kind of thing through uh, an audio book. So, mm. That's just yeah, me. I'm, I don't know if that's everybody. That's just me. I'm debating when, after the juggling author book comes out, if I want to record the audiobook version myself. Right. Or not, because I know that for nonfiction, sometimes some people prefer it to be read by the author. Yep, yep. that's what I've discovered. I, I have not recorded 30 Day yet, because uh, I keep starting and then uh, uprooting my entire life and never getting around to it. But the advice I've gotten is, if you've got a nonfiction book, you should probably read it yourself. So. Yeah, and I've <laughs> I've got some time behind the microphone, you know, doing some podcasting, but... Um, I don't know. There's some things I think is better left up to the professionals. So right. we'll see. Right. Right. Well, get a studio. Get somebody to produce <laughs> it for you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, well, we're kind of coming up on our time, and uh, where can uh, so you've got several places where people can track you down. But I like that you did one thing. I think pretty well. You actually divided uh, your web presence, and you have your nonfiction book and you have your fiction on a completely separate page. So where can people find you online? Sure. You can find the nonfiction stuff, which is the juggling author. And that's at the juggling uh, facebook.com forward slash juggling author and juggling author on Twitter. My fiction, um, my website is jimheskett.com, but if you just want to see my books, you can go to royalarchbooks.com and that leads to my books page. And okay. that's me. RoyalArchBooks.com. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, and everyone, of course, you can find all of these links in the show notes um, and plus a few other nifty things you might find cool. Uh, Jim, man, I appreciate you being on the show. I, uh, I, I'm i interested in what you're doing. I'm going to check out Juggling Author just because it sounds like it's it might have some useful uh, tips for just about anybody. So thanks for sharing that. Well, thank you so much for having me, Kevin. This has been great. You got it. All right, everybody else, hang out. We'll do a wrap-up, and I'll see you all next week. Or I'll see you in, like, two and a half seconds.
Hi, I'm back again. So, um, that was a great interview with Jim. I, 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 you know, this whole, I, this topic of, uh, balancing your, um, all the things on your to-do list, uh, with your life and your career and, you know, all this stuff, uh, that's come up more than once for me over the past uh, couple of weeks. Um, I just got on a thread on Facebook, uh, and this is what set things off. There's, there was a sponsored post, and the the post started with uh, something along the lines of, um, how, how many times have you been told overwhelm is the new normal? <laughs> and uh, so I pop in, <laughs> and I say, um, you know, not to, not to troll you, uh, but I don't think anybody in the history of anything anywhere at any time has ever said the words overwhelm is the new normal unless they were trying to sell something <laughs> and i think um that's accurate now you now someone popped in immediately say i just said this to my sister this morning so you're wrong and uh i'm like what what are you trying to sell your sister <laughs> overwhelm is not normal <laughs> feeling Feeling uh, overwhelmed, that's not the new normal. That's not the new way life is. That's not the new way you should feel. <laughs> that's just ridiculous. Um, sorry, and I don't mean to make light, but uh, no, I do. I, I do absolutely mean to make light. This is a ridiculous concept that uh, that you, you know, the, the idea that anyone is going to tell you, you know, yeah, you're overwhelmed, but just get used to that because that's the way life is. Um, now, in all fairness, this sponsored post was all about telling you how it's not normal. It's not something you have to just learn to live with. You can learn how to deal with overwhelm. You can learn how to deal with, you know, the deluge of, of responsibilities that hit you each day. So, you know, I don't want to be unfair to those people. I, I don't know what they were selling. It was a post or it was a video or it was something, but I did not uh, resonate with it. <laughs> I, and I think uh, Jim, Jim's got um, great advice on this, uh, juggling everything as an author. I, I, you should definitely pick up his book. You know, I personally, I have this philosophy. Um, for me, everything starts with the calendar. Uh, and I like to keep things very simple. So not only does it start with the calendar, it's, you know, I have an iPhone. And the iPhone has a calendar and it has a reminders app and it has a notes app. <clears throat> and uh, those, those sync with every other Apple device I have. And so, um, to me, the best way to keep myself on track and organized and, and keep from being overwhelmed is to use those tools. They're, they're free basic tools that come with the devices already own. So if it doesn't appear on the calendar, it doesn't get done. That's rule number one. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to set, uh, I have silos in my life. There's God, there's family, there's career. Um, God is first, you know, family is second and career is third, that they're in order of their priority. Um, I'm careful about using the word priority, by the way, as, uh, Nick, Nick Thacker and I've had discussions about this, but you know, priority means, you know, the one thing it's, it's like Highlander, you know, there can, there can be only one. <laughs> so you can only have one priority. And so you, you can, you can have these silos but there needs to be, within each silo, you can set a priority within that silo, right? But you can't, um, you can't have multiple priorities. Like, there, there's always going to be this one, this one part of your life that has to be more important than the others. For me, that's God. For, uh, for others, it's family. Or for others, it's, it's career. Some people put career above everything. And your silos may not look like my silos, by the way. You may not believe in God. You may not believe in, in any sort of higher power. You may not consider that to be an important aspect of your life. Less important, perhaps, than um, your family or your career or, uh, or television or <laughs> something. Uh, if you're putting television as one of your <laughs> most important silos uh, in parts of your life... Um, I'm so, I, you're wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> TV. I mean, maybe it's your career to watch TV or I don't know, whatever. Um, maybe we can convolute that to make it important. But uh, even, uh, inter, you know, base entertainments are not something that you should prioritize over everything else in your life, really. 
now that said uh, I know someone's going to point out some exception that I didn't think of so feel free um, but when it comes to feeling overwhelmed I think what we do is we try to put everything in the top slot because everything does start to feel important we have demands placed on us uh, from the outside sometimes that make things that are really not important to us feel very important um, so it's very it is actually very important that we own responsibility for our priorities and for the things that we concern ourselves with um, meaning that even though someone else will tell you, uh, yeah, well, okay, let's just put it this way. Let's say you are working a full-time job. There are responsibilities uh, you have as part of that job. Um, it, it Ultimately, you have to own your role in that position. You have to decide for yourself, is this more important than that? Is this more important than other aspects of my life? Uh, and then at that point, <laughs> you can determine, you know, what will hurt me most if it doesn't get done okay so you know that you need to you know feed your kids bathe your kids get your kids to school that's important okay and taking care of their health is important taking care of your own health is important um those things i would prioritize above you know my work responsibilities you know and now here's where things get a little sticky if you don't have your job, you may not have the money to take care of your family. So that takes on a level of importance as well. But what you have to constantly ask yourself and constantly do during your day and during your week and your life is um, analyze. Like, you know, what's most important to do right now? What's the one thing that I, that I can't put off right now? If there are 50 things you can't put off right now, um, I, I know it happens. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a dangerous, it's dangerous territory, but ultimately it comes down to what's, what sacrifice is going to cost me least. Okay. And it, I know that sucks. Uh, but here's the, the deal is, you know, if your job is demanding you be there, I've had this job. Okay. <laughs> I worked in advertising and marketing, um, with agent in the agency model, there is an expectation that they own you. And I have literally been told by a former employer that they own me for my time at the office that the expectation is I give more of my life to that job than I give to literally anything else in my life um, you can understand why I'm no longer employed by that company <laughs> so but it happened more than once really I mean I, I multiple times I came into conflict with uh, the management of a uh, advertising or marketing firm that felt like I should be there 24-7 if possible, uh, which was not possible. So anyway, uh, what happens here is you get told, uh, you know, you get pressure from your employer or whatever that these are the things that are important. Um, you you have to know yourself and be true to who you are. You have to know that, you know, my, my priority is God and family above career. So if career is asking me to stay here, you know, 20 hours a day, I got to go find a new job. I got to risk losing my job by saying no. I got to, you know, I got to take a stand. And that's, you know, there's a lot of that's easy for you to say kind of stuff that happens here. Um, but the truth is it, <laughs> it's not easy to say or do. You have you have to know who you are and decide in advance, this is how my life is going to work. And uh, if if this part of my life is incompatible with that, I got to make a change. And that's where the struggle comes in. That's where it gets really hard. That's where you have to turn to your family and your community. And, you know, if you're like me, you turn to God. You turn to, you know, your spiritual faith. Uh, that's That's where you have to get really serious about who you are and what your expectations are in life. Um, strife, turmoil, struggle, that's going to happen anyway. Okay. <laughs> it just is. You're never going to avoid it. Uh, you're never going to get away from it. So, uh, instead embrace that as part of the process, part of the seasons of your life and, uh, decide who you are and act upon who you are. Um, if you do that, you're going to have very few regrets in your life 
you're going to have very few moments in your life where you, you look back and say, I should have done this. I should have said that, you know, those things are going to melt away and, uh, you're going to find that you're more satisfied and you're happier. You feel a lot less of the overwhelm and you manage to get everything done. It's just the way it is. Everything works out. <laughs> it all works out. And I'm, I'm telling you this as someone who, uh, backslides on this constantly, by the way, you know, I'm constantly getting myself stressed out because I'm, I feel overwhelmed because I've got so many things to do. I've got so many blog posts to write and so many podcasts to produce and so many books to finish and so many marketing campaigns to run. And, you know, I've got to go to these conferences for, th- I'm going to be away from my home through most of September and a big chunk of October at conferences in at least, at least two different, three different states, three different states. You know, and at times I think about it and think, ah, it's going to be stressful. <laughs> Being away from home is is stressful. You know, I miss my wife, I miss my dog, I miss the comforts of my uh, home and my office. Um, but those such a wonderful opportunity for me, and for the authors I meet, we we get a chance to interact with each other, and maybe I can help them too. And uh, why would I want to pass on that uh, out of uh, a sense of discomfort, you know. So I don't let it overwhelm me. Instead, I try to look for what the positive benefit is going to be, or or was in some cases, if something's already happened in my life, and try to find a way to be grateful for it. Um, this is not easy, uh, but it it's so wonderful. <laughs> it helps you so much. So anyway, uh, I need to go ahead and wrap up. I appreciate you tuning in and sticking around this long. This has been a talky day for the Wordslinger. Sorry about that. Um, if you'd like to talk, I'd love to hear it. You can call me. Call me at 281-809-WORD. That's 281-809-9673 where you can leave me a voicemail. Uh, you can also go to wordslingerpodcast.com. There is a send voicemail button that floats along the right-hand side of the screen, little orange button. Click on that guy and, uh, and leave me a voicemail. There are limits to uh, how long these can be. I believe it's a, a one-minute message. Um, people have actually recorded uh, their own on their iPhones or their, you know or their smartphones or their computers and just emailed it to me. That is fine too. Uh, if you want to do that, uh, the best way well you can email me. At, the best way really is to go to the contact page <laughs> on uh, wordslingerpodcast.com and. Uh, and click that, and you you know there's a form you can fill out, um, and I can give you an email address to return something if you like. Um, you can ping me on social media as well. I'm at Kevin Tomlinson on Twitter. Please uh, feel free to to follow me there. I'm uh, you can look up Kevin Tomlinson on Facebook and follow me there, and I really appreciate that. Um, and I, I don't have a problem giving out my email address by the way, but it just seems inefficient. Like I you know I I feel like. I built a form so that I could streamline <laughs> this kind of contact. So I want people to use the form <laughs> and people do. I've gotten some great messages from people. Um, in fact, I got a couple, I'll have to read these next time. I've already used up all my time, but, uh, anyway, so I appreciate you, um, tuning in, sticking around, being a part of the show. I hope you will go and, uh, help us out, uh, help, help me, uh, promote and uh, some you know support the show by going to iTunes, leaving me a review, uh, four or five stars, and uh, a nice comment. You know, tell me what you've learned, tell me what you appreciate, uh, that sort of thing. Share this with your friends. You know, share it on social media, share it, share it in uh, blog posts, wherever you uh, make contact with your uh, you know your audience. Um, get out there and uh, share the Wordslinger podcast because I, I try to talk to more than just authors and, and author-related folks on this show for a reason. I, I, I want to impact lives uh, beyond just you know a writing career. I mean, I want people to, to get the behind-the-scenes story of, of some of these amazing people like Jim and like you know Brian Meeks and you know, a whole bunch of others I've talked to of late. So Get out there and uh, and uh, spread the word. So, And if you'd like to support the show financially, you can do that at wordslingerpodcast.com. Click on the um, Patreon logo there, and you can, you know, chunk a dollar or two or five or 20 or 100, whatever you want my way each month. And uh, all that money gets used in the overhead of the show. Uh, 
costs for hosting and uh, services I use and uh, replacing equipment that sort of thing that's where that money goes so you can be you can be sure that you know when you do make those donations they're being put to good use so that's it for me this week uh, ran pretty long this time sorry about that uh, anyway God bless you all I hope you have a wonderful weekend ahead and uh, stay safe and reach out to me anytime and I'll see you next time Slinger.